0: Zero in on a well-watered shore and see smoke from fires drifting. Stone cities rise, spread, and crumble, like patches of alpine blossoms that flourish for a day an inch above the permafrost, that iced earth no root can suck and wither in an hour. New cities appear, and rivers sift silt onto their rooftops. More cities emerge and spread in lobes like lichen on rock. The great human figures of history those intricate spirited tissues that roamed the earth's surface are a wavering blur whose split second in the light was too brief an exposure to yield an image but the hunched shadowless figures of ghosts. The great herds of caribou pour into the valleys like slag and trickle back and pour a brown fluid. Slow it down more, come closer still. A dot appears, a flesh flake. It swells like a balloon. It moves, circles, slows, and vanishes this is your life. And that was a quote from one of my favorite books, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. And I just thought that'd be a great way to start my brand new podcast, uh, Loner at Coy Wolf Creek. Um, And welcome, um, whoever you might be. I don't think anyone will ever hear this. But uh, I thought, you know, why not start a podcast Coming to you live from Designated loner Zone 281B. I'm Sarah Schaefer, your host. Um, yeah, it, it. look, I'm doing a podcast that no one will hear. I'm in my cabin alone. Um, but, you know, when you spend years on end by yourself, you do tend to talk to yourself a lot. And I thought, why not make it official? Why not record it? Maybe someday someone will hear this. Uh, maybe they'll find it on the dark web. I don't know. Maybe somebody living out there um, in their designated bubble zone will hear it. Um, but yeah, I'm alone. I'm out here in, uh, in, the, in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Um, I was very privileged to get into the federal loaner program when none of my DBZ uh, situations worked out my designated bubble zones, Um, but this is life in America too, you know, you find what works for you. And for me, it was the loner thing. Um, It's had its challenges, for sure. I'll talk about some of those. Um, But also, I've really uh, enjoyed being the caretaker of this little plot of land of mine. And uh, I thought, well, first of all, let me just explain part of why I wanted to start this podcast is because I was feeling very nostalgic for the golden age of podcasting. Uh, back in America one, when podcasting was truly just, it was so popular. I mean, there was the point past the golden age where, where it was sort of the shit age of podcasting where literally every single person had their own podcast, not just comedians, everyone everyone the guy working at McDonald's had a podcast the guy uh, uh, who brought you your Amazon order Uh, the delivery guy the UPS truck driver he had his own podcast Lisa from accounting had her own podcast everybody had one Um, but I'm talking about a little bit before that the golden age where it was mostly comedians and other sort of public figures And it was a great time. I had a few of my own back then. Um, I did other people's podcasts. I wish I had listened to more of them. Um, I knew about them. I was on them. I had my own. But I never really listened to a lot of podcasts, which actually got me in some hot water sometimes. Because uh, I would go and be a guest on somebody's podcast and literally have no idea what the podcast was and show up. You know, one time I did this podcast. uh, um, And it was like a bit heavy, very funny, lighthearted, lots of references, um, kind of podcasts. And I go in there and I just immediately start talking about my divorce and it was just a little off the tone of the podcast. And there was some comments online afterwards where the podcast fans were saying how sad they were after listening to my episode. And I really feel like I had uh, somehow ruined these people's lives or days, you know, just their day maybe. Um, But you know what? Sometimes you need to break through the fun bits and talk about real shit like the end of a marriage and how it affected me personally. So deal with it. Um, But yeah, I I thought, why not do a podcast just to remember those days? Um, And even if no one listens to it, even if it's just in the void here, um, um, you know, sure. Why not? I got a lot of time to fill. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd spend some time talking about my favorite memories from America One. Um, you know, because America One, I mean, let's face it. It was it was crazy. America One, look, there was a lot to love about it. America One had uh, apple pie, football, uh, baseball, uh, Kevin Costner. America One had so many things that were great about America, you know, um, the Super Bowl, uh, the Oscars, things like that. It was just like, oh, yes, fuck yes, America, you know. Um, but America One also had a lot of stuff that was terrible, you know. America One did slavery, uh, as we know, which was one of the worst crimes against humanity in human history. We did that. Um, America one went to war. America one shit took a giant shit all over the environment. America one was super racist and homophobic. America one did a lot of stuff that was really bad. Um, And of course, obviously it came to a head um, and shit really hit the fan. And You know, we went through that horrible transitional period and then we moved into America 2, which America 2, of course, was supposed to be temporary, but um, here we are years later still dealing with it. For me, it's working out okay at the moment. I'd be interested to see what ends up happening, but for now, we just had to kind of all go uh, have a time out with people like us in our designated bubble zone. um, And I ended up in the loaner program. Again, not complaining. It's a huge privilege to be in a loaner program. Um, you know, I get land. I get solitude. I get peace. But I also get no human contact, uh, save the occasional letter. But, yeah, I, letters, they don't come often. It's very slow. If you thought the post office was slow before in America 1, good Lord. America 2 post office is, I mean, snail mail Uh, I would say more like primordial uh, evolution mail, like as slow as that, you know, it takes a million years for something to show up. Anyway, yeah, I started this podcast. I'm super excited. I went on to drone mall. I ordered the equipment, had it dropped off via drone. Um, Gosh, you know, I don't know if America Two would even work without drone mall. Uh, people used to joke about. Remember Sky Mall? Sky Mall was fun. It was this magazine for the young ones out there. Sky Mall was this magazine um, that would be in airplanes, a catalog where you could buy the craziest shit. You know, it had such a variety of items. You know, it'd have a, a personal heating and cooling system that you could wear around your neck. It looked like a neck brace, but it kept you cool or hot. Um, I actually had to buy one of those from SkyMall for a boss that I had in New Orleans one time. He, he brought me the SkyMall after a trip, and he goes, order me this personal heating and cooling system. And I did, and I, I never found out if it worked or not, but it looks so fucking stupid. I really wish I had seen it on him. Um, anyway, SkyMall also sold, like, um, three-foot-high statues of gorillas. Uh, it sold... You know elaborate uh, tube systems for your pets to play in. It, it sold. What were some of my favorite? Oh, it had one thing where it was like a. It looked like a little waiter, and it held up your. Do you remember this? Is like a lamp or something, and it held up your wine. I can't remember. It was really stupid though. Um, but Sky Mall was fun. But anyway, Sky Mall reminds me of Drone Mall, which now of course dominates our lives. But Drone Mall was actually a successful um, system. And it, because it's actually a mall in the sky, if you will. Because you order everything you need, and a drone drops it off wherever you are, and it works out perfect for people in the loaner program because we can't really get out. We have to stay on our plot of land, and um, I get stuff dropped off, and it's fun. You know, we used to be kind of scared of drones. It used to be like, oh man, our drone's gonna um, fuck up the, you know, sky. Are they gonna? What what happens when a teenager gets a drone and shoots down an airplane? What happens when? Um, some crazy psycho ex wife gets a drone and, and attaches a bag of shit to it and drops it off on her ex husband's house. You know, I don't know if that happened, but people were afraid of that type of thing back then in America One. And we thought, man, these drones are getting out of control. But now drones are really what is keeping the fabric of society alive. It's keeping businesses in business. Um, and it's keeping me sane because now I have all this fun equipment to make a podcast with. So thank you, Drone Mall. Love you. Um, it's, it's one of, drone Mall is one of the only two websites that are allowed now. Um, you've got drone mall and hamsterdance.com. They, they brought that back. They were like, that's something we can all agree on. Everybody has been fighting. It's too much. We can't talk to each other. But Hamsterdance is something we can all agree on. So we've got Hamsterdance and Drone Mall drone mall you use for everything you use it for you know all of your communication and everything that you need to do but yeah that's it that's the world we're in i mean i guess we should have thought about it when we, when we were fighting over net neutrality maybe we should have been thinking a little further down the road um but you know here we are okay uh wow it's the first time doing a podcast okay it's a little rocky okay don't leave negative reviews about me <laughs> Oh, I wish someone would leave me a review. I wish this would be popular. Anyway, okay. My favorite memory from America One. I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, just remembering a lot lately about like early 2018. Like it's just been it's been on my mind, you know. Um, and one memory I've been thinking about a lot lately was the Me Too movement. Hashtag Me Too. I don't know if you guys remember Me Too movement, but the Me Too movement happened in late 2017 and went on into 2018 and, of course, carried on for years after that, um, where women rose up and uh, came forward about being uh, their horrific stories about being treated horribly by men, um, sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, the whole gamut. We came forward, and we just kept coming forward. I mean, it went on for a long time, and there was a point there where the majority of men could not leave their house. They couldn't leave. They were um, because they had been caught and they and or or accused of something, and they couldn't leave their house. And it was it was really kind of crazy. I mean, it was people were comparing it to the Great Depression, but just for men, and women had to come in and take their jobs. And because men weren't allowed to work anymore, um, their lives were ruined. Um, and I mean, just for doing simple stuff, like hugging Carol from the marketing department for just a little too long, you know, boom, life ruined, can't work, can't get any work, not allowed to hold a job. Actually, that was the rules. Like if you were caught doing something, you know, maybe, um, you know running your hand down the back of, of a woman as you hugged her just like a little to the small of her back and holding it there for a moment your life was ruined you were everything was taken away you had to move back home with your parents and it was destroyed um i'll be honest it was a glorious time it was one of the best times during america one in my opinion and there was a lot of arguments over like does this is this fair you know Are we uh, lumping in stories into the Me Too movement that cheapen it? Are we including things that are too chill, you know? Um, We should only have serious crimes as part of the Me Too movement. We should only have real rape, actual assault. Um, And I found that argument to be really disturbing because on one hand... um, You sound like people who say, oh, you're not raped unless you're held at knife point in an alleyway. Um, There's no other way of being raped. I find that to be disgusting. Of course, there's a million ways of being raped. Um, And unfortunately, rapists have found uh, all kinds of ways to get at you, you know, and it's really disgusting. So, look, yes, a lot of different things were being lumped into the Me Too movement, um, and people were acting like it was all predicated on the idea that women are too stupid to know the difference between, um, you know, someone calling you, hey, toots, and someone straight up raping you like they acted like women are too dumb to understand the difference. And they were acting like we all wanted the same punishment for that for both of those things. Um, and look, as far as I was concerned, we, we did have the same up until that point. It was the same punishment. Nothing. There was no punishment. Nothing happened uh, for, for people. A lot of times, nothing happened to a rapist. Nothing happened to anybody, any guy that did it that to a woman. There was no accountability for any of it. So, yes, we came, we came hard and fast with all the accusations, and we lumped all that shit together in the Me Too movement, and it was fun. It was a really fun time. I mean, especially, you know, what was the funnest part is when you were used, when victims were used as political footballs, you know, the tossing you back and forth. That's fun. It's flying through the air, you know, it's cool. Feeling weightless for a moment. That's fun. But really, um, you know, there was one particular story that really kind of brought all of the things I was just talking about into uh, the the blaring light of day, which was the, the story that came out about comedian Aziz Ansari. I'll say it. And, yeah, he's a peer of mine. Uh, he was. I mean, let's be honest. Um, I, I, I definitely became way more famous than him before America 2 um, came along. But, look, the story came out on this website called babe.net, and I felt the story was reported a little sloppily um, when I found out that the woman, the journalist who – reported the story and wrote the article on behalf of the victim who went by a fake name grace Um, The woman who wrote the article is 22 years old Now when I heard that and I realized what she Had done. I thought to myself that should be illegal It should be illegal for a 22 year old to write an expose about a celebrity man and take uh, the story of a victim Uh, a very delicate matter. I mean, and no offense, I'm not being ageist, but when you're 22, I don't care what career you're in. um, You shouldn't be doing advanced level work like that. That's an advanced journalistic piece. That's for somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. And I'm sorry, but when you're 22, you don't have the experience. You just don't. No offense to babe.net. I'm sure they have a lot of lovely articles, but I thought that was insane when I heard that. Um, Of course, we all know there was so much bullshit that happened after it, lots of think pieces and arguments and catty bullshit. Um, But what I found to be the most important part of the Aziz Ansari story was that the story, uh, as it was reported, brought up a lot of really important questions and important conversation this is the meat of it you know in in one way I was thrilled I was like wow we're really getting into the nitty-gritty now we're we're we've now elevated women's voices enough that we're getting into this fine-tuned shit you know this isn't easily defined let's talk about how we're treated with disrespect in these subtle ways in the more gray area I loved that part of it truly uh, uh, it's difficult there was a lot of really dumb people online saying dumb shit you know there was a lot of people going uh, you know, well, technically, I read the article, and technically, no crime was committed. And I always love imagining some dude uh, behind his computer with a legal library, like a law, law law books all around him. And he gets out the old book, dusty book, and he opens it up, and he flips through. And he's like, well, according to section eight of the uh, of the federal sex code uh, article 2.b uh, there was no crime committed technically and it's like shut the fuck up man did you read the article the article described a really terrible experience and people well, was just bad sex and I, I don't know I think there's a lot of different ways to interpret what happened of course we don't know um, everything in detail Oh well we definitely know what in detail from her point of view But we don't know a detailed account of it from his point of view, which honestly I don't know if we need it because he didn't really deny it. um, In a way, Um, I don't want to get into that. But the point is, is that there was a lot of ways to interpret it, and the main thing I got took away from it was that at what point, as a man, when you're having an uh, intimate interaction with a woman, do you? Look at the woman and go. I care about your feelings and I care about your experience. That wasn't happening here. He was trying to wear her down. People kept saying, "Oh, well, she could have left. She, why didn't she leave?" And every time she said verbally or non-verbally no to him, like, "Hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel forced." She gave a lot of signals, and if you read it carefully, after each time she pushed back, he goes, "Oh no, I'm sorry. It's okay," and he would stop and kind of make her feel comfortable. So imagine yourself in that situation. At every step, you're like, the guy is going, oh, no, 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 oh, I'm sorry, that's fine. Let's just just sit on the couch. And then he waits a few seconds and then immediately goes back to it. That's called wearing someone down. And that is coercive and it's shitty and it's in no way respecting the bodily autonomy of the woman sitting next to you. That's a human being. It's so dehumanizing to be treated that way. Now, we can figure out what the labels are, to describe what happened. Was it assault? Was it uh, coercive sexual encounter? I don't know. These labels are seem inadequate. I, I think there's a spectrum of behavior. Um, and the, the dialogue, of course, online became so binary and really frustrating because people want it to be so black and white. And of course, as we know, that kind of thinking got us into this fucking mess to begin with. The fact that we couldn't agree on anything is why we had to go all separate and live with our in our bubble zones. But anyway, I don't want to harp on that. My point is, um, I felt the conversation was frustrating and interesting. Um, and I think, um, maybe for a lot of men and maybe women who haven't experienced a lot of assault or, or, uh, shitty experiences for men, which is very few, I think. Um, I think what I found after a while during the me too movement was that I was just so fatigued. I was so tired of reading about these traumatic experiences because I then would apply it to my own life and relive my own traumatic experiences. Um, you found yourself going back and looking at every single hookup you've ever had and going and analyzing it and going, what happened? Now that's, <clears throat> not to say that women were going, hmm, let me think about that time I hooked up with that guy. Oh, God, it was so good. I had such good sex with that guy. But wait a minute. I was raped. Like, Or hmm. let me look back. Oh, that guy was, I didn't like him. Hmm, he raped me. Like, that is not what was happening. Okay, people aren't making shit up. Look, you're looking at things that happened in the past that you weren't okay with at the time. But you didn't have a way to understand what had happened. You didn't have a way to put words to it, a vocabulary to describe why it wasn't okay. And now we've been given that. The conversation has educated us and gave us an ability to go back and look and go, oh, my God, that's what happened. Um, I had a perfect example of that happening to me. I had this joke on my album. Um, It was my first album, Chrysalis. Well, of course, my first of many, many albums, award-winning, Grammy-winning albums, many, many albums that I came after that. But this, I'm speaking now of my first album, Chrysalis. And on Chrysalis, um, on track 10, I believe, um, I tell a short little joke, a story, about having a one-night stand in which the guy punched me in the face during sex. And I think the, the joke in the story is really funny, very nuanced, probably one of the edgiest jokes I've ever told in that it's really questioning this total concept of what is consent, what is okay. And um, I lay out all the facts and you know, you can tell some people getting, they wince, they get uncomfortable. They're like, Oh my God, what happened to you? And I always was like, it's funny. You just don't understand it. And then a couple years later I was like, wait a minute. I looked back and I'm like, I was assault. I was assaulted. This man assaulted me. And look, I definitely wasn't okay with it when it happened, but I didn't call it that because I blamed myself. You can listen to the joke. You can see why I blamed myself and why it uh, I felt responsible, um, but it took me a couple years. It was before the Me Too movement that I figured this out, but it took did take me a couple years um, to understand what had happened to me. And I think that's okay to go back and look at things and put, be able to put a name to it and go, oh, this makes so much sense. So in one way, the Me Too movement has been relevatory for a lot of women to go, uh, not revelatory, revelatory, revealing, revealing to a lot of women, revealing things to themselves um, and having the bravery to speak about them. And some women didn't come forward about things um, that happened to them because they still were living in fear. I mean, look at the reaction to every single story that's come out. You can see why women look at the reaction and go, oh my God, I'm not going to say what I'm, these, these women are being torn apart, um, called the worst names in the book. I mean, you know, I got called a whore by all these people online because I said, because I was trying to make some of these points. Anyway, thank God that time is over. Anyway, yeah, for years, you know, it was a big mess we had to get through. Um, There's a lot of contradictions and complications, but we did. We, we managed to get through it. And now in America, too, um, if you inappropriately touch a woman, um, we cut your nuts off. So that curbed it. We solved it. Thank God. Anyway, um, so that's my favorite memory from America. One... Um, and, I, you know, when you do a podcast, you want to have like, uh, uh, branded segments. So I have a little branded segment, um, that, you know, we'll do it for a while. If I, if I decide not to do it anymore, I guess I'll change it, but cause who cares? I mean, it's, I get to do whatever I fucking want. If I wanted to get on here and just list numbers, I could for a fucking hour. Honestly, I bet that would be probably one of the most popular podcasts of all time. You would call it non-serial uh, because you do the numbers out of order. Anyway, here's a segment I want to do every every show. It's called, What's Happening in the Cabin? And it's a little update on what my life is like in the cabin. Um, and this week, uh, I'm really excited because I started a new cross-stitch project. One of the things I do to... to to spend time to fill time here is to make things with my hands and uh an old holdover from america one is one of my favorite hobbies which is cross stitch and so i I managed to bring a lot of my old patterns with me i um i was back when ebay and etsy were still a thing um i was collecting a lot of vintage cross stitch patterns and i have you know close to 300 of them at, uh, at this point i mean sometimes on drone mall you can find old stuff but it's it's harder um so i love old cross stitch patterns especially from the 80s because they're so ridiculous um and it's just great to look back on them and feel nostalgic but i i have a few examples here um look uh they're they're usually booklets and they have counted cross stitch patterns that you follow and then you can make a beautiful this is why i love cross stitch you spend all this time making tiny little x's on a piece of fabric and then when you're done it's a an elaborate beautifully intricate perfect design And it's, it's, I love the texture of it. It's so pleasing to me. Um, So anyway, here's some of my favorite cross-stitch patterns um, from the 80s. Here's one called Everything's Just Ducky. And it's 18 Mallard Duck Designs. All different ones. Um, And it's just great. By a woman named Dale Burdett. Oh, wow. And the picture of her is so, a lot of soft focus going on. There's probably 12 layers of cheesecloth on that photo. She looks phenomenal. Dale Burdett. Love you, Dale Burdett. Everything's just ducky. Um, I love that one. Here's one called Super Sports 3. It's a bunch of different people doing sports, and they have little captions on them. So, uh, kayaker, a little picture of a kayaker, and then in small lettering, the challenge of white water um but some of them get a little funnier um show jumping and it's uh somebody riding a horse jumping over a little fence it says the beauty of horse and rider underneath it uh running someone running and then underneath it sport health sport health <laughs> uh and this one's my favorite um Well, there's actually two more. Volleyball. And then it says spikes, blocks, serves underneath it. You know, just in case you weren't sure what the moves are in volleyball. And then my favorite one is for bowling. And this one mixes it up a little. It does the small text on top and it says, everyone likes to bowl. So it's not bowling. This one mixes it up. Everyone likes to bowl. And it's a guy bowling. Really love, love that one. Um, Also... On the sports tip, um, there's another one called Sports That Count. And I love it because it's sports that, like, are... It it has some regular ones, like basketball, football, baseball, but it has other sports that do count. It, It counts. Cheerleading counts. Bowling counts. Badminton counts. Okay? These are included. Surfing counts. Skateboarding counts. Sports That Count. Now... It's interesting to see which sports were left out, the sports that don't count. Um, I do not see... Let's see. I do not see ribbon dancing. So I guess ribbon dancing doesn't count. Fuck you if you ribbon dance. Um, Here's one, another pattern from 1988. Office offerings. Oh, these are great. I love imagining the women that would put these up in their cubicle. Smile if your tail is dragging... And it's a picture of a dragon. Get it? Guess what hit the fan? It's a picture of a fan. There's no pattern for shit in this, though. So I guess you really do have to guess. Um, warning, desk occupant human only after coffee. Oh, man. These are like a Kathy cartoon almost. Um. Yeah. Those are great. Uh, Oh, here's one. It's called Creative Needle Never Die Collection 2. So this is the second one. Never Die Collection 2. And they look like little business cards that you (laughs) cross-stitch. And they're all sayings like this. Old lawyers never die. They just lose their appeal. Okay, so it's all these different jobs that never die. Okay, old housewives never die. They just go to pot what does that mean old housewives start smoking weed what in the world Uh, old salesmen never die they just need new lines what some of these make no sound most of these no this one's good old realtors never die they just get listless huh get it they can't list anything old bankers never die they just lose their interest (laughs) jesus christ Old gardeners never die. They just lose their bloomers. Okay, so old gardeners just take off their undies and run around bottomless. <laughs> old sea beers never die. They just change their handles. Okay, that makes no sense. These are just. Those are ridiculous. Similarly, there's this uh, other booklet I have called Short and Sassy Number Two, again with the number two version. I I never got the volume one of these things. There were enough to have a second edition. Wow. I guess this may explain why they suffer so much from reading like, actual logic. Suffer, uh, sorry, Suffer. Short and Sassy Number Two. Um, These are some cute sayings that are supposed to be sassy and you cross stitch this and you put it up when in an area where you would like to sass your friends and family or coworkers. okay um some of them include and i actually made this one back in america one you know i'm on the level because my bubble's in the middle and it's a teddy bear and it really doesn't make sense. It's, I guess it's a joke about a level where, you know, a level for, you know, home projects where you need to check if a bookshelf is level. Um, but, you know, I'm on the level because my bubble's in the middle. Is the bear standing on a level? Wouldn't you say, you know, I'm level because my bubble's in the middle? Hmm. There's some logic problems with that one. Also, why? Just why? Uh, <laughs> here's another one from this one. He who dislikes the cat was in his former life a rat. That is sassy. Um, I keep trying to lose weight, but it keeps finding me. <laughs> There's a lot of fat shaming in this one. Holy cow, are you eating again? There's a cow. Once on the lips, forever on the hips. There's a pig. I mean, God bless all these calories. Now, there's mixed messages. It's saying, hey, you fatty, stop eating. And then there's another one that says, thank the Lord for all these calories. (laughs) You know, that's, that's just how it is when you're sassy short and sassy. Now here's two more examples um, where we start to get into the questionable, perhaps racist cross-stitch patterns um, from the 80s. One is called Images Past, and it's a picture of a Native American woman painting an urn. Um, It's beautiful, but I question the title, Images Past, and that makes me kind of sad, meaning Native American people aren't around anymore because we killed them all in America one Oh yeah. Forgot to mention that one. America one also did the genocide of the native peoples of North America. Hello. That's fucked up. Um, Anyway, images past. It's a picture of a native American woman. And I guess we're supposed to think that she's from the past because, you know, I guess native American people don't exist anymore. That's not true. They totally exist and they get erased from every single conversation in every way in this country and it's, it's bullshit. Um, hopefully when we get to America three, um, we can just give it back to them and then we, I guess die. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. That's scary. Um, my point is, um, I bought these sometimes images past. I didn't buy this. It just got, it sent to me in a, like, uh, I, I got like a grab bag where you get Uh, Sent a bunch of different cross-stitch patterns and they just send you and you don't know what you're going to get. So this one was sent to me and I saw it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it off the market and I'm just going to keep it so that no one else, so no stupid white woman goes, oh my God, I love this. I'm going to stitch it and put it up in my apartment. And then someone comes, sees it and is like, why do you have that? Anyway, this next one is probably going to stir up some debate if anyone ever hears this. Um, because I actually don't know if this is racist or not, but it just feels racist to me. And what it is is a cross stitch booklet of the California raisins. Now, it's called Jam Session, it's got a couple different options. Now, I've always, uh, uh, when I got into my more adult years, when I was growing up, California raisins were awesome. They were claymation. I loved anything claymation. You make it in claymation, I'll watch that shit love claymation but the california raisins were these claymation raisins and they sang soul music particularly i heard it through the grapevine which is a big hit um but when i got a little older i started to look at them and i started to go "Are, are california raisins racist i i can't tell like it's a it's a raisin with white gloves, and they they look African American, but I don't know if I'm racist for saying that, and they're singing African American songs. Um, it feels borderline uncomfortable. So I actually did buy this one specifically just to get it off the market again, because it just made me a little uncomfortable. I still have it. it I don't know. Maybe... Maybe I could write a letter to somebody that uh, knows these things and they can tell me, hey, California Raisins, we've determined we're racist. Were they? I don't know. I, 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 I don't remember anyone specifically saying that, but it's just one of those things as a white person where you look at it and you get a little bit unsure and you're like, hmm, maybe to play it safe, I won't wear a California Raisins shirt around or I won't dress up as one. For Halloween, which I definitely did at one point. I definitely dressed up as a California raisin at one point for Halloween. And I'm sure I was technically in blackface. That is offensive. But I didn't, again, these are questions I don't know the answer to. Um, I remember, Speaking of old podcasts, there was a podcast in America, one that I loved called Yo, Is, is This Racist? Hosted by Andrew T., a friend of mine. And I loved it because it, people would send in questions like this: "Hey, are the California raisins racist? Are they? Is this racist? This thing happened." And it was a lot of white people asking, and, and people of color too asking questions. And it was a great, great um, podcast just about racism and 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 race. Um, and I love, I loved it too because um, almost every answer to that question almost every time was yes that is racist (laughs) it was very rarely like no that's not racist so if your gut is wondering chances are it's racist um now my big question lately has been look if I want to cross stitch up a California raisin or Native American woman or something like that and I put it up in my cabin alone in a loner zone is that racist if no one sees it an interesting question but um the point is is i'm gonna go with yes it is racist even if you're alone um so don't do stuff like that because one what are you trying to prove and also maybe you're not going to be alone forever uh you never know things changed. I didn't know I was going to end up here. America won. I never would have guessed I would end up here. So who knows what's going to happen. All I know is I'm going to try to be um, as self-aware as possible in my cabin and be aware of my white privilege at all times and to try and forward the cause of equality for all people, all people all the time. And I will do that from my cabin here alone. I'm not sure how that'll work, but at least in my heart, I'm trying to put out into the world something good. Um, I mean, I may mess up sometimes, I may fail, but you know, in America too, all the rules have changed, and I, I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. Um, so that's it. That's episode one of. <sighs> my new podcast. Uh, I feel good. I feel alive. I feel more excited than I have been in a while. I've hit hit a real low point. Loneliness is something that you deal with as a loner. I mean, it's built into the word, you know. Um, But not, you're not always lonely when you're alone. But sometimes the loneliness hits. And when it hits, you got to do something about it. And, you know, you may feel like you don't belong anywhere. And that's why I'm here. You know, I got rejected from all the DBZs. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere in America One even. Um, so this is where I belong for now. And um, I'm dealing with it the best way I can. And that is by talking into the void. Uh, anyway, um, and that, that's a wrap on that. I uh, love you so much, whoever you are.